Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the government says the coronavirus risk in Canada hasn't changed as the World Health Organization declares a global emergency. The risk remains low. Uh, obviously, uh, it is uh, low because partly uh, travel to and from the re affected region and from China is becoming more difficult. And of course, we have a very sophisticated system here in Canada, which has been noted, by the way, uh, by the World Health Organization. Debate begins in the House of Commons on the new trade deal with the United States and Mexico. As of yesterday, Canada is now the only one of the three NAFTA countries where the agreement has not been ratified into law. And I think we should get it done. I think Canadians are ready for the certainty that this agreement would bring. And I think Canadians appreciate what I very much believe to be the case, which is this is a really good deal for Canada and Canadians. And the government plans to move towards a ban on single-use plastics next year. It's absolutely clear we need to immediately move to end the use of single-use plastics. It's harmful for our environment. It's harmful to our health. We need to move immediately to banning it. It's Friday, January 31st. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by HuffPost Canada's Ottawa Bureau Chief and the host of the follow-up podcast, Althea Raj. Good morning, Althea. Good morning, Mark. So the World Health Organization has declared a global health emergency over the coronavirus. The federal government is still saying that the risk level in Canada has not changed. Of course, specific cases are being investigated and identified. Uh, what's the latest on all of this, including the effort to get some Canadians out of the affected area in China? Yeah, well, there's been actually a lot of news over the last 24 hours. Um, China uh, announced that the death toll has again uh, risen and faster. Basically, there are more cases being reported now. So there's the death toll is at 213 and there's almost 10,000 cases worldwide. And so that, I think, has led the State Department in the U.S. to basically raise the alarm level uh, to its highest level four, telling Americans not to go to China. And yet, while you're right, the government here has not uh, changed its travel advisory. Usually, Canada and the U.S. kind of work in lockstep when it comes to consular advisory. So I do expect the advisory that is currently on the Global Affairs website that says, you know, avoid non all avoid non-essential travel to China, that that probably will be escalated to avoid all travel to China. Right. Um, yesterday, on Thursday, the Foreign Affairs Minister, Consul Philippe Champagne, told reporters that the government um, has is still working on the air list logistics that they obviously they have a charter plane that they are working and negotiating with China to try to get not just Canadian passport holders but possibly permanent residents who hold um, Chinese passports but are you know have a family unit that is based in Canada to try to get those people uh, to come on the airlift as well we have no details about um, what would happen to the individuals who are leaving China when they arrive here, where they would go, if they would be quarantined. The health minister says basically that they are developing a plan, but they have yet to finalize that or communicate it with the public. So we know there's 196 people who asked for help getting home. Um, and the government has told us that none of those people, if they are sick, would be allowed to come on the aircraft. Okay. 
We'll continue to watch that. Uh, Let's take a look back at the first week of Parliament. Uh, Since it resumed on Monday, uh, there was that brief session, of course, in December, but this has been the the beginning of a new chapter, a minority parliament. What were some of the lessons that arose this week? Yeah, it was very interesting. So uh, right off the bat, the government said its top priority was passing the new NAFTA bill, and we know the government wants to ratify this as quickly as possible because um, as soon as Canada does, which is like the laggard Canada, uh, sorry, the U.S. and Mexico have already ratified it, uh, three months later the agreement comes into effect. And we had, uh, I, I would say, I've never seen this before, all the premiers of the provinces writing to all parliamentarians, uh, members of the House of Commons and the Senate, saying, please, pass this quickly. This is better than the old deal. We want it to be uh, implemented quickly. So what we saw this week was the opposition parties, most of them, the Conservatives, the NDP, and the Greens, all vote to support um, moving the new NAFTA bill forward. So only the Bloc Québécois, um, you know, which frankly has the luxury of saying that it is opposed to this and defending its constituents interest. We know most of, obviously, uh, aluminium is produced in Quebec, um, and a lot of the members of Le Québécois represent those regions where uh, this is, they are big employers, like Rio Tinto, for example. Um, so, on the one hand, we had, on Wednesday, uh, you know, this show of uh, solidarity with the government on a key issue that I think there's general buy-in from Canadians, and at the very same moment, just a few minutes earlier, we had the opposition do what we expect uh, will happen in a minority government, which is band together and try to shed light on things that the government may not want light to be shed on. Um, so, for example, there was an opposition motion from the Conservatives saying that uh, they would like the Auditor General to come and investigate the Liberals' $188 billion infrastructure plan, a plan that's been criticized by slow rollout. And uh, the NDP, the Bloc, the Greens all agreed, yeah, this sounds like a great idea. We're going to call in the AG to investigate this. And actually, one Liberal, uh, Nathaniel Erskinson, sided with the opposition parties. The Liberals, of course, said, ah, we don't really like the way this motion is mm. framed, and we oppose it. So we will expect, I think, lots of... Uh, Lots of signs that the opposition is working together. I think something else is likely to come down is that Mario Dion, remember him, the ethics commissioner? Um, he was an unable to come and explain his report on uh, Justin Trudeau's ethical lapses on the SNC-Lavalin affair. Um, and uh, the opposition had tried to call him to committee. Now the committees have a majority of opposition members. So Mr. Dion will probably be asked to come back and talk to Canadians about his report on the SNC-Lavalin Okay, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out, and, and that is one of the areas where there is the biggest difference in a minority parliament situation, the fact that the government doesn't have a majority of the positions on the various committees, so we'll see what effect that has. Um, the government uh, revealed more details about its plans to ban single-use plastics yesterday. Tell us more about that. Yeah, it's kind of, you kind of wonder, like, okay, well, you you already announced you were going to do this. Now you're announcing you're really going to do this. But that is what they they basically said. They will be moving uh, forward with a ban on single-use plastics. Uh, the Environment Minister, Jonathan Wilkinson, said that they were going to be doing that in 2020. Basically, um, because of the way the legislation is framed, the Canadian Environmental Protection Act, a ban basically required a scientific assessment of what the problem was before ban could be implemented. And so the government has 
gave that scientific assessment, it basically says that the problem is as bad as we expected. In 2016, for example, there were 29,000 tons of plastic garbage in this country, about 2.3 billion single-use plastic water bottles. That's the equivalent of 29,000 tons of plastic garbage littered across the country. And so uh, the environment minister has said the specific list of what items will be banned um, is still being worked out, but that we will have a list in the coming months. Okay. And just before we let you go, Althea, let's talk about one of the developments this week, this series of recommendations from a panel that looked at telecommunications and streaming services and television uh, in Canada, the CBC as well. Uh, what's been the reaction to that over the last couple of days and, and where do you see, uh, where do you expect the government to take action? You know, it's interesting because when the government came out with uh, asking well, it's plan on Netflix. Remember that woman, and he was the heritage minister. There was this outcry from Quebec saying, like, how dare you not implement a tax that creates programming in this country? And what we've seen uh, now is that maybe the government has learned its lessons. This is, uh, this is an expert panel uh, recommendations, but the buy-in from producers, like they laid the groundwork in a way that they did not do with the initial Netflix announcement. So what we have learned and what the new heritage minister, Stephen Giebel, has said is that um, he likes a lot of stuff that has come out of the expert report that's basically uh, recommending that Netflix, Amazon, um, some of the big providers like Apple be folded uh, under the CRTC, the Canada Radio, Television, Telecommunications Commission, and that they be taxed and have requirements placed upon them, much like the broadcaster, so that they would have to produce Canadian content. Um, Mr. Gibault has said that he uh, is doesn't think that one of the uh, suggestions is controversial, which is to start collecting uh, GST and HSD on those programs. Um, but one thing that we did not hear the government say, which is something they campaigned on, um, was this promise of imposing a 3% tax on digital services. The UK, France uh, have all suggested that that is one way that they think they could um, grab some of the money that these huge tech giants um, are making around the globe. But what we've seen is that the US um, has basically threatened, and we've seen this in the UK recently, where their digital tax is just 1%. Um, Steve Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary, has threatened that if countries move in this direction, uh, he is going to impose, or President Trump is going to impose tariffs. So we didn't hear Mr. Gibault, uh talk much about whether or not that was still a uh, Canadian government pledge, but the Prime Minister previously said that that 3% tax on digital services would be coming in the budget. So that is certainly something we will be watching for. All right. Althea, thank you so much for breaking all of this down for us today. Have a great weekend. Thank you very much. You too, Mark. That's Althea Raj, HuffPost Canada's Ottawa Bureau Chief. Our goal is, is simple, uh, to make the system more equitable uh, than it is right now. Uh, the technological changes that we have seen have made it so that our system doesn't work anymore. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In an editorial, the Toronto Star argues the federal government should act to tame big tech. The Star writes... Our government has mostly been content to sit on the sidelines, but it has no excuse for further inaction. A panel has produced a set of recommendations designed to make sure the digital giants contribute a lot more to the system they profit from. 
It will be extensively debated and hotly contested, but should act as a spur for Ottawa to stop ragging the puck on confronting the challenge of big tech. At ctv.ca, Don Martin argues in favor of a closer look at the Liberal infrastructure plan. Martin writes, This program is trying to force-feed stimulus into an economy where the construction sector is almost fully employed. Money is sloshing around in unallocated budgets, waiting for a funding partner to sign on or a federal bureaucrat to sign off. If the plan is stimulating economic growth, the government should be shouting it from the Peace Tower. The fact signs of activity don't exist is proof an independent authority needs to give the impact of this massive borrowing binge a closer look. In the Globe and Mail, Robin Urbach argues the Conservative Party will stand up for LGBTQ Canadians now that it's easy and convenient. Urbach writes, Tories took to Twitter to denounce remarks made by Richard de Carry, who suggested that being gay was a choice. They torched a convenient straw man who has been useful in demonstrating the direction of the new post-sheer incarnation of the Conservative Party. That direction apparently includes a willingness to stand up for minority populations, just as long as there is little to no risk of disrupting caucus solidarity. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The Prime Minister will be in Montreal, where he will discuss the new North American trade deal with employees at Vetement Peerless, Incorporated followed by a meeting with business and community leaders. And Minister of Families Ahmed Hussein will make an announcement in Markham, Ontario. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Friday, January 31st. Tune in to Primetime Politics Weekend on CPAC for coverage of all the week's events. Our podcast returns on Monday morning. Have a great weekend.